Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I am joined by Nick Gower. Jordan Lazowski is on vacation at the Holiday Inn Express this week. Nick, how are you doing? How was Colorado? And uh, how are we feeling about the White Sox on the uh, different part of the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, Colorado was very fun. And for those of you listening, no, I was not there while the White Sox were there. And I, originally I was upset about that when the trip was planned, but now I don't really care. Um, I ended up, I went with my dad and we went to a concert at Red Rocks. We went to a Rockies game. We went to the top of a mountain. Like it was a very like Colorado trip, but it was fun. And I think that just getting out of Chicago and getting out of the Midwest is always nice. Um, I've, I've never been to Colorado before prior to this. So it was cool to see all the views and whatnot. And as for how I'm feeling about the White Sox, I mean, the same as always. Like I was at, when I was at the Rockies game, the Sox were playing the Cubs and I found myself not even checking my phone, which was kind of sad because I didn't even care. But um, one thing I will say is just kind of like the Rockies are in a kind of similar spot as the White Sox in the sense that they're, you know, one of the worst teams in baseball and don't have the greatest farm system or anything. But just being at the game, it was very interesting. I was at a game against the Diamondbacks and it was pretty sparsely attended. And one thing I will say, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing when it comes to the White Sox, but the Rockies fans, at least where I was sitting, so I don't want to, you know, put this on the entire fan base, but they seemed to care a lot more about like the vibes and just like the ballpark experience than the game itself, which I can't really blame them. I mean, it was, you know, they were, they were losing most of that game and most of the time, and it was not the most fun game, but at the same time, I don't really always feel that way at White Sox games. Like sure. Sometimes again, it could just be where you sit, but for the most part, I feel that even when the White Sox are really bad, it's like the game on the field is what matters. So that was the most interesting takeaway to me. But the ballpark was cool. I'd never been before, obviously. And it was it was nice. It wasn't like my favorite, but it's probably better than the White Sox ballpark in part just due to the area that it's around and just being, you know, up in, up, not, it's not in the mountains, but it's close enough for them where from some angles you can see them. So overall, I really liked it. Yeah, that's that's cool, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the uh, the difference like with the fan base, um, you know, and I kind of have the same impression of the White Sox, just you know, and I'm not saying I was in Colorado or anything like that, so it's hard for me to really say, but uh, it's nice to get your insight on it. But I agree with you. Um, obviously, you're always going to have those people that are going to go to sport like sporting events that are going to go there, whether the team is good or bad, and they're going to party. You know, they're going to do their thing, and obviously, Southside Chicago during the summer and the city of Chicago. In, in general during the summer is a lot of fun. So you're always going to find those people, but I know, um, you know, I usually sit down the third baseline pretty consistently. And um, I, you know, there are people who I know over there who are season ticket holders and there are people over there who I, you know, I'll just meet that day and they're pretty honed in with the game. You know, it doesn't matter how good or bad this team is. Um, why, the, why they, why we choose to go there and just continue to, uh, you know, deal with this team live in person and continue to, you know, deal with the whole uh, nonsense of getting to the stadium is beyond me. But um, we, we have a nice mix on the South side. And I'll always give the Sox fans credit for that. Um, good or bad. You know, I, I know guys who are season ticket holders and they've been season ticket holders for a long time and have watched a lot of losing and put a lot of money down every year to do it. So uh, respect. 
uh, genuinely, I, I always think it's a good case study. Um, so it's, it's nice to see, it's nice to hear that you kind of saw a little bit of a different side of that. Cause you know, the, the, the Rockies are really in a tough situation. You know, I, as a fan of the Rockies, I feel like I would be pretty bummed out, you know, that Chris Bryant co- contract looks pretty awful. Um, the Nolan Arenado trade just does not matter what Nolan Arenado does in St. Louis at the time. It was a terrible trade and there's just no way you're going to ever be able to swing that. And, uh, yeah, it's a real shame for uh, the fans out in Colorado, but uh, it's it's nice to see that we have a little bit of resiliency over here on the south side. Um, but anyway, we have quite a bit to cover in this episode. Uh, we will be joined later in the show by Sox on 35th contributors, uh, Thatcher Zalowski and Michael Swarrow. Uh, before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at Sox on 35th, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sox on 35th. All right, Nick, I have talked for a minute. So obviously the big story with the White Sox right now, obviously has absolutely nothing to do with what they're doing on the field because we already know how awful that is. Um, Our wonderful owner, the leader of Mount Jerry, the uh, owner of the White Sox and the Chicago Bulls has once again decided to come out and open his mouth at the worst possible time where this team is terrible. Everything's looking bleak. And we are now in discussions officially of relocation. Nick, how do you feel? How, how does the Nashville white Sox roll off the tongue to you? How are you feeling about the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf is acting like a grown child and because his team isn't winning and everybody's bitching about him, he's going to decide, well, I'm just going to move my team then. Eh, whatever. I'm just going to threaten you once again, like it, like we all did in, 19, in, in the early 90s. How, how are you feeling, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of just wild reading that article because at one point it's like sources indicate that Jerry Reinsdorf may consider selling the White Sox. And then a paragraph later, or maybe it was before, they talk about moving to Nashville. And it's like, okay, those are two very, very different, you know, reactions from me. <laughs> like, I think the Nashville White Sox should not roll off the tongue <laughs> to answer your question. And I just, I, for a lot of reasons, I can't see that actually happening. I see it probably just as leverage because it indicated in the article that Reinsdorf is talking to the mayor of Chicago and I'm sure other government officials about whatever comes next. And maybe just having that threat helps in some way. I don't, I can't pretend to understand all, you know, these business dealings that go on. But overall, I mean, I think the timing is interesting because it said the lease for guaranteed rate field is not up for another 60 years. And while sure, if you're planning on building a new stadium, you need several years to do it. Nobody was really like talking about this, you know, I mean, sure it comes up every now and then, but this wasn't like a big topic that needed to be addressed right now. And I'm wondering if it might have something to do with the bears potentially moving to Arlington Heights, because if that ends up happening, then the area that is currently Soldier Field might be up for grabs. And I mean, I don't know about the logistics of it, but I think that could be a cool place to have a baseball field. Because again, other than Nashville, the article did indicate that elsewhere in the city or even the suburbs could be an option. So overall, I'm just, I, I guess I, it's hard to say that I'm happy because a threat of moving to Nashville is not a good thing. But what I am happy about is the fact that if the team is in Chicago, they realize that the ballpark while I think underrated is, you know, not holding up compared to the new, more modern ones that are going up. And I think a new one, maybe one that is angled toward the Chicago skyline or on the water or something unique or fascinating could be, could be really good. So that's overall how I feel about it. I don't, maybe I'm just in denial, but I really don't think they would 
leave Chicago just because it's such a big market and, you know, mar- markets this big can very easily support two teams. And when the two teams are good, you you see that. So that that's my take on it. But I don't know. How do you feel? This this really just is just vin- it, it just feels like vintage Jerry Reinsdorf. And I'm not even saying that to like be like funny or be like in a joking manner. But like, you know, White Sox fans, you know, older than us, you know, I, I always heard stories from my dad about it about how Jerry really leveraged the entire city by using Tampa Bay. And now Nashville feels like if this is, if this is the route that he's going to start going on to try to get a new stadium and try to kind of start working that deal around, he's just going in the same bag of tricks he's already gone into before. He wants a new stadium. He feels like he, 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 want, he feels like it's wide open. Um, you know, I think bringing up the, the Bears situation in Soldier Field, that's a very good point because that is going to be a pretty – useless plot of land at that point if uh if the bears are not soldier field um it it just feels like exactly what jerry would do in this situation with him wanting a new ballpark which you know i know you say you know what you said about the ballpark about something that you know where it's really not holding up with time um if i can give jerry reinsdorf any sort of credit i would say he's done a decent enough job like keeping it updated throughout the years where it never really fell too far behind um you know i think we see it with the scoreboards um, you know, he's always trying to, you know, get, he got something figured out in right field. I thought when they originally set up the right field, you know, whether it was the goose Island or now it's the Miller light landing, I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, you know, we gradually see those things get updated on the outside of the stadium. Um, it, it just, it seems weird because it feels like Jerry and, you know, the other investors with the white Sox have been wanting to put more money into the current stadium. So, I don't know if they're trying to leverage about potentially getting tax breaks, about potentially getting tax funding, um, about potentially even doing like a, a, a large scale renovation on the South side. Um, it, it, it's so hard because this is just so out of left field and it's so weird. It, it's just weird timing. You know, I, I think this is something that can be discussed in, in the off season, you know, and, and, you know, we've seen over the years that Jerry just decides he wants to run his mouth really without any rhyme or reason, without really kind of ha- any strategic timing behind it. Um, this feels like a discussion for the off season. You know, this feels like a discussion where, you know, if you're going to start trying to leverage against the city of Chicago, maybe do it when your team's not awful on the field every single day. You know what I mean? I, I think one of the biggest arguments against the bears getting a new stadium built for him was, how bad they've been the last few years, you know? So I don't think that necessarily helped negotiations at all where I don't think Chicago should have been hardballing the bears, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. The Nashville thing just seems weird. Um, I do love the part where there's a potential of him wanting to sell the team, but I think that might say more about who's going to be taking over next compared to who's in charge now, because you know, we say six years down the line with this lease. Jerry Reinsdorf's 87 years old. And I, I listen, hope Jerry lives a long life. You know, I, I definitely am not. I, I never wish never wish death on every, anybody. That's a, that's a wild take for anybody, I feel like. Um, but le, like, let's just be logistically real here. There's a good chance Jerry's might not be around to see another stadium. You know, so is he is this kind of his final play to set up Michael, you know, his son that's run, basically running the Bulls right now? to get the best value he can about potentially selling the team with a new stadium. You know, there's, I think there's a lot that's going to go into that. I think it's something we're going to see start playing out over the next few years. Um, It's just really strange time. You know, I just don't understand why Jerry has to bring this up now and why he has to just, he just, he's always just a shit stir. He always, he always has been, you know, I, 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 
it's like it's like when Carlton Fisk back in the day uh, was trying to uh, trying to get the the games played record, and Jerry just had to open his mouth every week. Or you know, Frank Thomas, one of the greatest players in our organization's history, you know, left on unceremonious terms. Jerry Reinsdorf had to go in the media and just publicly trash him after we just won a World Series, where you literally gain nothing by doing so. So it's just it's Jerry Reinsdorf being Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, Unfortunately, I I truly believe Nashville does deserve a baseball team, and I hate that he's going to use Nashville as a uh, as that kind of threat because it's going to make people in Nashville excited because I think they genuinely do deserve that. I think they love baseball in the state of Tennessee, but that's Jerry Reinsdorf we know love. That's Jerry Reinsdorf we've had to deal with, and anybody who's been a fan long enough and followed this team long enough knows that this is just it's vintage. It's vintage Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would love for the 31st MLB team to be in Nashville, if that makes sense. Like, it seems pretty clear that expansion will come probably to 32 within the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years. But I don't understand moving a team out of, what is it, the second, third third biggest market in the country for baseball or just in general. Moving that team to Nashville doesn't make any sense to me. So it, it's, it's weird timing for sure. And also from a value standpoint, it's like, would the team be worth more with a new super modern stadium somewhere else in Chicago? Probably yes. But at the same time, might a new owner be more interested in having a clean slate where he or she could on, on their own determine where the stadium would be and, and you know, everything about it. Like maybe from a dollar standpoint, it wouldn't be as valuable, but when you're talking about that much money, would they care? Like, I don't know. I'm asking a bunch of rhetorical questions here, so I'll stop. But overall, I'm kind of with you. It's just kind of puzzling in terms of the timing. And I'm hopeful that it'll work out in a way that benefits fans. I don't think that will be the priority of anyone involved, but it would be nice to at least be a consideration. And I guess in the next few years, we'll see how this goes. But again, just given everything that's happening with the team, really weird for us to be talking about this right now. I did not expect this to be the topic of our discussion but it is what it is yeah no it's uh it's certainly strange timing but you know it's it's just kind of the way jerry's done business you know it's it's kind of an established thing you know like like i said at the top of the point like it, it's not even a meme it's just that's just kind of how he does it and that's how he ended up leveraging his way into getting you know the stadium we have today in the first place so um you know and, and to your to your point i think uh if jerry were to ever do anything noble in his life I would say if he was going to sell the team with a new stadium, it would at least maybe make it so that team doesn't get immediately moved. But I would hope that anybody he would sell to, if he has any sort of a fucking heart in that body, he would sell to somebody who would promise not to move this team because I don't care what anybody says. You know, I I think you make a great point with the, the market of Chicago. This, this fan base is diehard. The, the city of the, the South side loves, loves the white Sox. They embrace the white Sox. This isn't a situation where, you know, people flat out don't go to the games. Um, e- even in bad years, the fact that we still get the attendance we do is more than what you're going to get in, say, like in Oakland or, you know, any really any of these other small markets. And that's not a shot at Oakland. It just shows how committed this this city is to the White Sox. And I really hope this is in some way to deal with. But anyway, um, we have a great conversation coming up here with uh, Sox on 35th contributors, uh, uh, Thatcher. Saluski and Michael Suaro. Um, Thatcher, I apologize if I've butchered your last name a couple times. I don't know why saying your full name bothers me so much, brother. But um, it, it's great conversation. 
Um, a lot of good stuff in here. Um, a lot of talking about the uh, minor league. You know, I mean, obviously, we're talking about the future of the franchise in a in a far different way. But uh, getting to hear about some of the uh, positives and negatives of the minor league system and the Birmingham Barons, which is probably the more marketable name than the Chicago White Sox right now, is a nice little change of pace. So, um, without further ado, this is our conversation with Thatcher and Michael. All right, and now we are glad to be joined by fellow Sox on 35th contributors, uh, Thatcher Zalewski and Michael Suero. Um, Michael, you've already been on here multiple times, so I don't need to hear from you quite yet. But Thatcher, um, this is the first time I believe you've been on the rebrand or the new Sox on 35th podcast, if that's how you want to refer to it. Um, how's it going? How are you enjoying the White Sox season? And um, generally, how is uh, how's your summer going? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Moved into my room here for college. Um, in regards to the White Sox season, I'm not very enjoying, not really enjoying it, especially watching that walk off against the uh, Sox from Morale the other day with all my Cubs friends here at school. So, but I got to rub it in a little bit the on the Tuesday game where they won, but I got it right back the following day. Yeah, I mean, dude, it, it really sucks because I had like this perfect meme set up for us possibly winning two at Wrigley. But of course, like the White Sox are just absolutely zero fun this season. So there's no chance to do that. <laughs> um, so, Michael, I will allow you to speak now. Um, constant contributor on the uh, Sox on 35th podcast. You're basically a regular at this point. How's it going, buddy? Well, thank you for your permission to finally speak on the podcast, Duke. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right over here. Uh, I think I'm doing better because I'm just not watching the White Sox nearly as often as I was. Um, I'm just choosing not to put myself in that position. Um, I've actually been watching more Birmingham Barons games than White Sox games lately, and that has been an exciting team to watch. So, But, you know, other than that, I'm doing pretty good over here, you know. Not quitting my day job yet, so life is what it is. But you know, we're we're still rolling over here. Um, personally, looking forward more to football season than anything at this point. But yeah, no, I'm excited to start talking some White Sox prospects with you guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, I feel like you speak for everybody at that point. Um, I I remember the last Sox game I went to. I believe it was the first Bears preseason game, and pretty sure I saw more Justin Fields jerseys than I saw any White Sox fear. White Sox jerseys in the entire crowd. So you are certainly not alone, especially with the way that uh, the NFC North is looking to shape up this year. But this is a baseball podcast, not a football podcast. But anyway, uh, Michael, just jumping right into it. Um, obviously, you had a preseason top 30 list that you put out um, over on Sox on 35th.com. Um, definitely a good read. Always like uh, seeing your opinions on prospects. Um Obviously, we're this far into the season. Um, you've watched quite a bit of minor league baseball. In fact, I don't know anybody at the site who watches more minor league baseball than you do. Um, what is your preseason top 30 list looking like uh, then compared to now? Like what would be your midseason to late season top 30 list? Or, you know, what, what, who are the guys that have kind of risen? Who are the guys that have kind of fallen? Who are the names that we should know? And who are the names that are starting to really look like uh, mid 20s and not really panning out? Yeah, so um, before I get into like who's really fallen off, just keep in mind 
there's a lot of new names on this list than there were in the preseason top 30. You know, I think I want to say almost maybe even just about a third of our list now is guys that we brought in through both the draft and the trade deadline. So a lot of fresh faces in this uh, in this new prospect list compared to the preseason top 30. So even if some guys did fall five, six, seven spots, it doesn't necessarily mean that their stock has really dropped off that much. It just means that maybe they weren't overwhelming enough to jump up that high in the ranks and they got passed up by some of these new acquisitions, but they weren't necessarily doing much to hurt their own stock. Um, so there are some guys who have fallen a bit, but that's just more because of circumstance. Um, but, you know, there are a couple guys who really, who their stocks really have taken a hit. And uh, one of those guys, unfortunately, is a guy that I think we all had a lot of high expectations for coming into last season. And that's Norgay Vera. Um, we have him ranked in the mid-20s right now. I mean, there was a time that he was considered a top five prospect in our system and arguably, if not consensusly, the top pitching prospect in our system. You know, he you know, his, his professional debut with the Dominican Summer League, he was absolutely lights out. You could just tell, like, he was overmatching opposing hitters. And everyone was really excited to see him make his, you know, stateside debut and see how he was going to transition. And unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to really get rolling. And when he's been on the mound, his control's been really spotty. Walks have been a real issue with him between the Arizona Complex League and um, and the lower uh, full season levels. So unfortunately, you know, he has not lived to the expectations that a lot of people had for him you know, a couple years ago. Um, there's still time for him, obviously. He's still young, only, I think, 22 years old. Um, still has a real smooth and effortless delivery. I mean, the, the fastball is still there. He's still in the upper 90s with his fastball. He's got good spin rates on his breaking stuff. Maybe he's a guy that ends up transitioning to the bullpen and letting his stuff play out more. I don't know. I, I hope he can eventually stay healthy and prove that he can stick as a starter, but I don't know. We'll see. For right now, his his stock is really taking a taking a hit, though. But um, on you know on the reverse side, though, there have been a couple names that have really jumped up. You know, even with all the new additions we've had to this farm system, one guy that you know both Thatcher and I are pretty high on is Jacob Burke. Um, you know, he wasn't. I don't even think he made my honorable mentions section of the top thirty. You know, coming to the season, but he has just been outstanding. You know, former 11th round pick has just come out of nowhere and has really put his name in this farm system. He sit really well, uh, both with low, low A Canapolis and high A Winston-Salem. He had a, over a 50 game on base uh, streak that was rivaling Colson Montgomery's at one point. And, you know, that's a that's a pretty good uh, name to, you know, be right next to in terms of, uh, you know, ability to get on base because, you know, no one's as good in, in the system. and not many people in the entire minor league levels are as good at getting on base as Colson Montgomery, but Jacob Burke was rivaling him in there. And, um, you know, he's just, he's played really well, plays good defense, has shown a little bit of power, good uh, on base uh, ability, obviously. Um, he's still in high A right now. I expect that he'll probably end the season in double A just because, you know, he was a college bat. He's, you know, 20, 22 years old. So he, I would expect him to get that promotion soon. Um, and then one other guy I want to mention as a as a real riser is Wilfred Varis. 
Now, at 20 years old, he is just recently gotten promoted to Double A Birmingham, and he's had you know a phenomenal season. You know, he's got more raw power than he's shown in game, but overall, he's been much younger than the level of competition, and. He, He's a guy that just recently made a position change too. So, you know, he was always a corner infielder. This past year he's been learning to play corner outfield spot. And, you know, that on top of, you know, trying to develop as a hitter, I think he's done a tremendous job developing in both areas. And he's a guy that should be jumping up a lot of teams, a lot of uh, people's prospect rankings because, again, at 20 years old, I think he's hitting like 370, 380 right now to start at double A. Obviously, it's a short sample size. He hasn't been there that long, but he has been a real bright spot in this system. Yeah, so really quick, Michael, I actually want to follow up on Wilfred Veras because I believe I asked you about him in our the first podcast you were on when you did your preseason top 30. Because I've always been a fan of his, but you know, all the knocks are, you know, who knows what position he's gonna end up at. And he hits well on these young, but he doesn't have that one standout trait that makes you go, wow. But he's really putting it together this year. So my question for you is, you touched on this a bit. Are you concerned about the lack of home runs in particular? I know he's saying a bunch of doubles. Or do you think it's the kind of thing where as he gets older, those doubles will become home runs? Where do you kind of stand on that with him? You know, it's hard to tell. I I hope that they do turn into home runs because the the power is there. He does have that over-the-fence ability to hit, you know, 20-plus home runs a season at his peak. He hasn't been tapping into that much, and I don't know if that's just, you know, a, a swing plane issue or maybe it's just because simply he's been a lot younger than the pitchers that he's going up against, and it's just a bit of an adjustment for him. I think that's a real possibility. Um, also, he you know, one thing that is always going to limit him is he's a very aggressive hitter. He's not the most patient, um, so if, if he can – hone that down a little bit and wait for his pitch. I feel like that would be something that would allow him to tap into that power a little more, being able to square up on a pitch that he's waiting for and a pitch that he can square up on. Um, So I think that's probably the biggest adjustments he still has to make. But the bat to ball skills, I think have been better than advertised this season, especially. And I mean, the power's there. I, I hope he does learn to tap into it more, and you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's something that they're still working on with him. But just overall, I, I don't think you can look at what he's done this season and not call it a success. So overall, um, these these rankings that you guys are referring to, which great answer, by the way, Michael. Um, these rankings that you guys are referring to, um, to anybody who doesn't know, these were uh, kind, of, kind of an ongoing uh, – ongoing article that you and Thatcher have done here um, throughout the course of the season on Sox on 35th, obviously doing the preseason and now the midseason one. Um, Michael, I know you did a follow-up with your honorable mentions, um, and, and I'll let you kind of touch on this here in a second, but Thatcher, uh, I'm just looking at your top 30 here, and um, you know there are some guys that I think that could possibly break into that top 30. Um, who are some guys that were a little bit on the bubble? Maybe some, somebody that maybe really, really made a good case, but just didn't end up making the top 30 for you. Like, uh, who's, who's, who are some players that maybe on the outside looking in that we should keep an eye on as well? Yeah. So for me, some of my honorable mentions were like some of the guys that were drafted in the later rounds, like Christian Oper and Seth Keener. I had those guys in my honorable mentions and they were very close to making it, but like, with how like not having any like 
professional like experience yet. It was kind of tough to rank some of the later like draft round draft picks. Um, another guy that I was personally high on of coming into this year and hoping he had a breakout year was Eric Hernandez, which was the top international signee alongside Oscar Colas, and he's just been very disappointing to say the least this year. Uh, he didn't really perform that well in the DSL, and now he's in the Arizona League Complex League, and still really nothing to show for yet. He's still young, so he's still got time. So that's why he's still like in the honorable mention section. And then another guy was uh, Westcath. He's another guy I was really high on. And he's he was part of one of the guys who got promoted to Project Birmingham last year. And I still think he the talent's there, and with time he'll get there. But at one point there was a discussion of like he's on the same track as Colson, but now Colson's clearly passed him up. And I think Kath will could get there, but he's just another guy that kind of fell off my top thirty list. Yeah, so um, I'm really glad you brought up Wes Kath there at the end um, because. I think he's a very polarizing prospect throughout the system who really doesn't get talked about as much as a lot of the other guys, really positive or negatively. Um, I feel like he kind of gets under undercovered for kind of the hype that we had coming in. And Michael, reading your uh, honorable mentions, I thought you made a really good point about the fact that he's still only 21 years old. Obviously, on the younger side of things, he's struggled mightily. But, um, you know, it is Westcast somebody you think that can genuinely turn it around? I mean, obviously he has the time to do it, but have you seen enough growth from him in this season, even with the struggles do you think that he could eventually kind of start moving up the ranks within the next year or two? Man, it's been a rough season for him this year. You know, I mean, I think his strikeout rates over 40% right now, and it seems like he's really regressed come, you know, this season. So he is still young and there's still a lot of talent there. I mean, there was a reason that he was viewed consensusly as a first round type prospect coming into that draft. And even though he was only a second round pick, the White Sox paid him first round money in the second round. He was a well over slot second round pick. I think his signing bonus was equal to you know somewhere in the early to mid twenties, actually, in terms of where his slot or his actual signing bonus compared to the slot for, you know, a draft pick, but you know, time is running out. I mean, this is his you know third professional season now. And I think everyone was definitely hoping to see more from him at this point. Um, and we'll see, he's still got time. You know, I think, you know, another year of development will do good for him. And we've seen, you know, high school draft picks take a few years before they really break out. I think DJ Gladney, is a great example of that this year. He struggled mightily for three years before he had a really good breakout season this year. So he's got more talent than that. And I, I think it's definitely possible, but I don't know, I, I will have to see next year. Um, I obviously his stock has taken a big hit this year. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously spot on with really all that. That's, that's similar to how I feel about him. Um, obviously when you look at his slash line, it's absolutely brutal. And, you know, sometimes you see glimpses of why he is that, but he just looks like somebody that's going to need to spend a little bit more time in the slow cooker. And hopefully you can salvage something out of it. Obviously, age is the best thing working his direction. But and if this if he was even a year or two older, like this would be looking like a disaster esque situation right now for the White Sox, which 
we have quite the history of prospects, high high end prospects not panning out, especially ones who were uh, involved with getting drafted while a guy named Kenny Williams was in the draft room. Um, now, looking back, uh, Michael, I'll let you take this first, and then Thatcher, I'll let you take it next. Um, are there any players maybe looking back on your preseason that you wish you would have ranked a little bit higher? Maybe somebody that you were kind of high on, but you're like, you know, if I put him in this list, I will look like the ultimate meatball. You know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Tim Elko's of the world. Um, if I put this guy in my top 30 list, I'm going to be a a total clown, but is there somebody that kind of made you realize like, you know, maybe I should have showed a little bit more confidence and maybe there's somebody I should have put in that top 30 in the preseason. Um, so real quick, are we talking preseason list or midseason list? So is there somebody in the preseason that did not make your list that you were that got it, got is, it. is is a lot more obvious to make your list now? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, one guy that I think I was, you know, I was really low on coming into the season, I actually just alluded to him was DJ Gladney. Um, you know, he's a guy that had a lot of talent always, and he had some fans cause he's got, you know, power potential and, you know, relatively patient at the plate. He's got, he had some things going to going for him coming into the season. I didn't have it. I think I may have had, I think I had him in my honorable mentions in the preseason. And this year I, in my personal top 30 list, I had him sneak into the top 30 at around 28, I believe. Um, and he he's really broke broken out this year. Um, like I said, sometimes it just takes these high school prospects a little bit more time to develop. And Gladney's a great example of that he really struggled at the plate in the first couple of years. And this year he's really broken out. He's he's tapping into that power. He's barreling up the ball a lot more consistently. And he's a guy that the White Sox now, you know, see as part of the equation going forward. Um, you know, if they do uh, Project Birmingham again this year, I'm not sure if they are or not, but if they do, I'd be shocked if he was left off that call-up to be part of that program this year. I think he's shown a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and you know, I really think that his, his arrow is only going to go up from here because he's developing as a prospect, but he's showing a lot of, a lot of progress and his, you know, not only his, you know, bats and ball skills, but his, you know, decision-making at the plate has been a lot better this year too. So I just think he's, he's trending up right now and I'm really excited to see what he could do with further development, see how he could come into next year and really put himself on the map. Well, and I, th- I think we're really going to benefit from having more opportunities throughout the entire farm system with guys in AAA who are probably going to end up finding their way onto the major league roster just by the sake of necessity next year. So it's going to be nice to kind of see these guys get tested from day one going into next season. I'm really interested to see how our prospects end up playing out heading into uh, heading into the spring and next summer. Um, Thatcher, same question. Um, is there, is there somebody that, you know, you were high on in the preseason didn't make your list, but somebody that has very much shown that they belong on this top 30 list. I think somebody who like I is on my top 30 list for the midseason even that I was lower on that definitely like proved me wrong is Wilfred Veras, who we touched on earlier. I had him ranked at 29 and that was before his call up to Birmingham. So his his OPS in Birmingham's like almost to a thousand at this point. So he's he's definitely proven that like he is kind of a could be a guy for us here. And um 
Varys just looks really promising. Like, I wasn't too familiar with him coming into the season. I've heard of him and, like, saw, like, saw his numbers and stuff. But as a top prospect, I wasn't really considering him. But now I definitely think he'd be closer to my, like, in my top 20, maybe top 15 prospects in the system. So he's one of the guys and that I was on my list that I was probably lower on. But a guy I'm higher on than most probably is Brian Ramos, which I'm kind of glad he's breaking out right now. I personally had him as my fourth-ranked prospect in the system, and he's proving why I was right about that ranking. Yeah, yeah, good answers there for sure. Ramos has been very, very good lately. I mean, I I don't watch the Barons. Maybe I should, but I, watch, I read all the box scores, and every day it seems like Ramos is drawing walks and lately hitting home runs. So, yeah, I like those answers. And another one I wanted to ask both of you about is – the rankings of Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa, because obviously they're both middle infielders and Sosa isn't, well, now he's in the majors. He wasn't AAA. Rodriguez still hasn't been to AAA, which is a little surprising to me, but they're different players, but I can see why they'd be ranked close together. I mean, Sosa was better in AA than Rodriguez has been, but Rodriguez still has a lot of upside with his elite speed and just the way he plays. He also has some untapped power. So, I just want to hear kind of your rationale. We can start uh, with Thatcher, actually, because I think Thatcher, you ranked Rodriguez ahead of Sosa. I just want to hear why you did that, like what went into your thought process. Yeah, so I had um, Rodriguez at 8 and Sosa at 12 in my rank, in my top 30. And the reason I'm more higher on Jose Rodriguez and Sosa is more so because of the upside of Rodriguez. He's a younger prospect who's kind of shown he can hit and play well at almost every level. So far that he's been at, he's been a slower start at each level throughout his career so far. But once he gets adjusted and figures out, like, gets more comfortable, he's proven why he get deserves the promotions and stuff. And he proves why he deserved a promotion to the big leagues this year already. And why the Sox added him to their 40-man roster. Sosa is a guy who I think is kind of like, you know what you're getting with him at this point. You know He can hit probably maybe like 15 to 20 home runs at the big league level with consistent playing time. He's got he's going to be a decent glove at second base. Like I think Sosa, you know more about what you're getting with him and kind of like him having a couple years at AAA now where Rodriguez has yet to play a game factored big into my decision on having Rodriguez ranked above Sosa. And I just personally like Rodriguez better as a prospect. He did come back from that injury this year where he finished last year hurt, and now he came back this year. He started off slow, but then once he got comfortable again and got adjusted, he started hitting the ball more, and I just think Rodriguez is going to be a better player. Got it, yeah. And then, Michael, same question for you. I mean, I think Thatcher just made some good points. It seems like it's more about Rodriguez's ceiling, but I want to know where you agree or disagree there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Me and Thatcher have almost an identical thought process comparing the two, yet we actually rank them pretty much opposite. You know, he had uh, Rodriguez at 8 and Sosa at 12. I had Sosa at 8 and Rodriguez at 11 in my personal top 30. Um, And everything Thatcher said is spot on. You know, I, I, I do think Jose Rodriguez has the higher upside. I think his tools are a bit louder. He's, you know, got more athleticism. He's more dangerous on the base paths. He's got if, you know, just as much, if not maybe some more pop in his bat. Um, but Sosa's the more proven commodity here. You know, we, we do kind of know what we have in Lenny and Sosa, I think. And 
know, it's I, I think he should have been up at the major league level a lot sooner than he has been. But also, Nick, you also pointed out, like, we're not exactly sure why Jose Rodriguez is still in Double A either. He should probably be in Triple A. So, a lot of interesting decisions or lack thereof from this White Sox organization, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big Lenny and Sosa fan personally. I, I do think that he's shown enough to where I, I feel comfortable giving him the second base job next year, basically. So I, I think that he's MLB ready. Um, I know he's gone off to a bit of a slump um, in AAA before he was called up, but you know he, he just hit a home run for for the for the White Sox, you know, the other day. And the, I, I love the bat. I think the the swing is great. I think there's a lot of power potential in that bat at the second base position. He's not at, as athletic, but he's got good actions at second at both second base and shortstop. And you know, I think he could play shortstop in a pinch, but his home long term is definitely second base. Um, you know, I just think he's a guy that's you know, ready to go at the big league level and just doesn't have anything left to prove at the minor league level. Whereas Jose Rodriguez, he has been a little streaky over the past couple of years. You know, he did end the season really hot before his season ended with a broken handmade bone. And then he got off to a slow start this year, probably in part, at least partially due to the injury. But once, you know, he finally got fully healed from that, he went on a tear. And those are, you know, both guys I think have a lot of potential with this team. Both guys could really fight to be the long-term second baseman for the White Sox. It's just a matter of, are you valuing Rodriguez's upside or uh, Sosa's floor a bit more, I guess. So I think, I think this brings up a really good conversation, a uh, really good conversation. I really liked how both you and Thatcher covered that, Michael. Um, you know, and I think there are a lot of questions about why a guy like Rodriguez has taken so long to kind of move throughout the system. Just to get your guys' opinion, just because I generally want to know how you guys feel about it, and Thatcher, uh, Thatcher, I'll let you toss into it because you originally brought up the point. Do you think the White Sox have potentially slowed down his develop, uh, Rodriguez's development because of how Lenin Sosa was kind of rushed throughout the system and they kind of saw how that didn't quite work out very well? Because, I, you know, just kind of a flashback to last season we kind of cruise Sosa up to the major league roster and, and not only by necessity, but by the fact of just kind of trying to ride the hot hand. And it kind of feels like it did more damage in the long run than it did, you know, really help him. You know, it, he, you had an insanely confident guy going from double a where he was absolutely mashing the baseball and jumping immediately onto a major league roster and, you know, getting killed at the plate, you know, because that's, that's quite the jump. Even it, even the most hottest hitters at double a will admit that, you know, the jump from double a to the majors, it's, it's different. Um, do you think that would be a reason why they've slowed down Rodriguez's development cycle? Cause they potentially don't want to see that happen again, where they want to, you know, make sure that this is a confident guy throughout the entire course of his minor league development, or am I just completely babbling and there's probably nothing to it. I definitely think there is some truth behind that because I think the Sox as a whole this year have taken their time with a lot of their prospects. As you can see with Colson Montgomery, he finished last year in Birmingham as part of Project Birmingham, but he spent a lot more time in Winston-Salem this year than probably most would have figured due to him ending last year in A. So I think the Sox as a whole throughout the whole system are being more patient with prospects just due to what that fact that you know, Sosa cruised up last year, and he struggled a lot. And so 
people are complaining that like, oh, can, can just keep giving him more playing time and he'll figure it out. But I mean, how much can you actually, how much time can you actually give him before he figures it out? Like the Sox were in the division race for until pretty much September last year, where that's when they pretty much got knocked out by the gang swept by the twins. So this year I could see why they could like push up more guys, like up to the big leagues to see what they have, like playing Sosa more, like, Sosa and Perez are guys who should be playing every day at the big league level because of their ceiling and how much left they actually have at AAA, which is not much. We've seen Perez hit 20-plus homers in AAA. Same with Sosa. But Rodriguez has yet to get to AAA. And taking your time with him while he's only like 21, 22 in AA and making sure he can actually hit in AA is probably a better situation and let's see what you have at the big leagues with Sosa first before you try and rush Rodriguez up. Okay. All right. I just, I just, that, I really like that explanation. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, I just, I, I really think, uh, I think that's something that, you know, when I hear people dog on Sosa, that's really one of the first things that kind of pops in my head is just how quickly we kind of steamrolled him right to the majors. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at the history of the game across, really any team when they when they rush somebody who isn't a top prospect and i'm talking like tippy top prospect right to the majors from double a unless they pop off immediately it's usually a pretty tough next year year and a half for that prospect because you know you have all the you have all the piss and vinegar in the world and that immediately gets drained out of you when you have to deal with major league pitching so it is a baseball's tough game it's a mental game and uh when somebody loses confidence it's obvious and i think sosa did lose some confidence from that trip to the major last year. So that's, that's kind of where my question originated from. But um, gentlemen, we're kind of kind of running a little bit tight on time. Um, I, I will let you guys plug a little bit of like uh, where we can find you. I mean, we've only heard it a million times from Michael at this point. But um, while you guys are kind of closing out here, try to give us a prospect that we should look forward to for the rest of the season. You know, whether it's unknown, whether it's one of the top tippy top guys on your list, who is somebody that we should be watching if we start watching any of these minor league baseball games? So for me, I have two, and one is my favorite draft pick from this past year, George Walco. I think the upside with him is enormous. His ceiling is probably the highest of almost anyone right now in the system just due to his age. He's only still 17 years old, and he's already hit his first professional home run at the Arizona Complex League. I think Walco is a guy you definitely should be watching the rest of the year just to see how, if that power translates, continues to translate. And he was just my favorite pick of the draft. And also because he's potentially a first round talent next year, if he remain doesn't sign and he signed with the White Sox in the seventh round. So I think that's a pretty, pretty good steal with the, for the value there. And then the other one was Corey Lee. He is more of an MLB ready prospect, kind of two different prospects. You have one who's only 17 and one who's like 24, 25, ready to be in the big leagues. Uh, Corey Lee was probably one of my f- more favorite prospects they got back in the all the trades before the deadline because I think he has a lot of good upside as a power bat from the catcher position, which the White Sox seem to like having power bats behind the plate as Grandal was brought here to hit the hit home runs, and he did so in his first two years. And I Lee's like pretty much only hit singles right now, but I think he did just come back from an injury, and I think, again, he might be one of those guys, once he gets more comfortable in his environment, he will be starting to launch those homers out of Charlotte. 
Yeah, no, I think those are definitely two guys I'm personally going to be keeping an eye on as well, especially Wolkow. I mean, I I was ecstatic when we drafted him in the seventh round. You know, and obviously just look at the signing bonus they gave him. They gave him $1 million. That was equal to second round value. So it shows you how much they like him, that they were willing to give him that much and really save with their other draft picks to make sure they had enough in the seventh round to snag him. Um, I'm personally going to go deeper into the wall. I'm going to go with a couple guys that are currently in the Dominican Summer League that aren't getting as much a recognition, but are two guys that have a lot of upside and are going to be high on my watch list You know when they make their stateside debut next year. Uh, first off is uh, pitcher Luis Reyes. So he was actually the top um, international signing in our most recent international class. Uh, he tied with Abraham Nunez for the biggest signing bonus at 700000 And he was the only prospect that we had signed that was ranked in MLB Pipeline's top 50 international prospects. He came in at 41, I believe. Um, he's a guy he got you know, in his profession, in his debut early in the DSL season. He was getting absolutely pounded by um, hitters, and he just got off to a terrible start. But over the past, you know, five, six weeks, he's really tightened things up um, with his pitches, and he's been you know, really limiting hitters' ability to, you know, get on base or even hit him a lot better. His, his strikeout numbers have gone up. His, you know, his whip's gone down a lot. I think his ERA's dropped by, like, 10 points, which that shows you if, if it needed to drop 10 points, how how bad he was doing. Like, his ERA was, like, in the eight, like 18 at one point, I think. And now it's down to like six. So still not great. But if you just look at his numbers over the past five, six weeks, he has been what the White Sox were hoping when they signed him. Uh, and then another guy, I'm going to go with a catcher here. You know, we've added a, a decent amount of catchers recently with Corey Lee and Edgar Kiro. And that was a, a big hole in our farm system that we really, um, you know, helped ease up a little bit with in the upper levels. But down, you know, in the Dominican Summer League, a guy, St- Steven Flores, all he's done is hit pretty much 400 at the plate this entire season. I think his batting average finally just dropped to 390, which if it took that long for his batting average to drop below 400, that means he's hitting pretty damn well this season. Um, he was advertised as a, a hit, a, a much more of a bat first um, catching prospect that you know has some potential behind the plate, but he's really known for his bat. Um, he, he's got more power potential than he's really shown. It took him a while for him to finally hit his first, uh, professional home run, but man, the bat to ball skills have been incredible with that batting average and his strikeout rates been under 4% all season and his walk rates been at least double that as well. So he's been a real force at the plate. Um, we'll see what happens when he comes stateside and, you know, faces a stiffer level of competition, but he is looking like one of the biggest steals of that entire signing period right now. So to anybody listening at home, Michael already knows this. The key to my heart is talking about the catching prospects in the White Sox farm. So I very much appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Thatcher, Michael, it's been a pleasure. It's always great having you guys on. Um, Thatcher, hopefully we'll get you on here a little bit more. Michael, we'll see you next week, dude. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been great having you on. Uh, great discussion. And uh, thank you very much for letting us forget about the Major League team for a little bit. Hey, don't act like you're not excited to talk to me again. <laughs>
Always great to have socks on 35th contributors onto the show. Um, we have a really knowledgeable bunch over here on the blog. Um, really appreciate them taking some time to jump on the show, especially in the season we've been having. Um, be sure to check out the articles from uh, Thatcher Zalowski and Michael Suero moving forward in the later part of the season. Um, as well as finding them on Twitter and giving them a follow. Uh, both of them are really good Twitter follows, so be sure to go check them out over there as well. Yeah, I thought it was a great conversation. Really nice having them on. And one thing I do want to add, because I was a little surprised when at the end, Michael gave a couple of Dominican League prospects he was excited about. I was like 100% expecting this guy to be one of them, and it wasn't. So I'm just going to put his name out there, and it's Javier Mogollon. He is a second baseman and shortstop. And the only reason that he caught my eye is because he has eight home runs in the Dominican League. And usually in that league, the best hitters, sure, sometimes there are big home run hitting guys, but not really. Usually they hit a lot of doubles or just for high average. But Mogollon is hitting 315 with a 414 on base percentage, 554 slugging, 967 OPS, eight home runs in 45 games, and his walk-to-strikeout ratio was basically one. So one of those things where, you know, he could be the next Benjamin Bailey where he comes stateside and just isn't good, and I look like an idiot, but hopefully he comes over and he is good because the power is intriguing. So I just wanted to mention his name. In addition to the ones Michael said, those definitely are worth watching as well. Yeah, no, I always like trying to keep an eye on that because I feel like that's kind of the forgotten part of our uh, farm system and definitely part of the farm system we don't get credit for on the national stage. Um, you know, say what you want about the Chicago White Sox because there's plenty to say, but we've done a pretty good job of bringing in international prospects. I mean, obviously, look at Luis Robert and the just absolute tear he's putting on the league right now. Just unfortunately, he's not on a better team. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have this week for the Socks on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcasts. Also be sure to check out the website at SocksOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SocksOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. As always, I am joined by Nick Auer. Jordan Lazowski will be back from Legoland next week, and we will be back to start and follow another exciting week of White Sox baseball. Till next time. I've been Duke Hall from the Sox on 35th Podcast, and go Sox! Go Sox!